You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. How is everyone this fine Friday? Pull back the curtain. I am actually recording this on Thursday. Um, I talked with Mike Sando earlier today, as we always do now on Thursdays, like and the lineup in case you're new, I know a lot of you are new, podcast is growing exponentially fast, but we always talk to Mike on Thursdays, that was great. Um, this will probably be, well, I'll probably mix some Twitter Thursdays in there, but there, this will probably not be a regular show because we're going to start picking games and next Thursday there is a game. But anyway, every Monday we have the Locked On team joins me and we do quick segments with three of those guys from around the league and on the, whatever the biggest stories are of that particular week. And then Sage Rosenfels joins me every Tuesday. Usually that's going to be quarterback centric. And Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus gives us a little bit more analytic look at the league every Wednesday, as he did last year. And I'm a former scout. I was at ESPN for 10 years after a stint with the Browns. I was director of football ops at Akron before that. I was a recruiting assistant at the University of Pittsburgh before that. So pretty well, uh, pretty well versed and done a bazillion podcasts in my life. So looking forward to our new relationship with you. But to pull back the curtain... Every Labor Day weekend, me and my buds from high school go to Deep Creek, Maryland, get a big house, and we do our fantasy draft. It's the only redraft league I am in, so I am going to disappear tomorrow after I do my Steeler show, so I wanted to record this one today and get it to you sooner. So it is Twitter Thursday on a Friday, but it's also Twitter Thursday on a Thursday. I know, I know, crazy. Um, But I have plenty of questions from you guys, but I did some... There's just a few little tidbits here that I noticed from things I've read from assorted articles. And I should have quoted you know, where I found these from. Most of them are from Football Outsiders, and one or two of them are from Bill Barnwell. Uh, he has an article up right now on ESPN that's good, and he's a former Football Outsider guy. But for those of you who don't know, I, I go to the gym every day, or try to, uh, try to get at least a half hour in on some sort of machine. Uh, not that you'd know it by looking at me. But I cut and paste articles from all over, the, all over the web on a Word document, and I read them while I'm working out um, on my iPad. So there were a handful of things I read today that I just wanted to share with you that I think are pretty interesting before we get into your t- Twitter questions. First one is the Lions had a league-leading 9.4 net yards per pass play with using play action and ranked second in DVOA, that's a football outsider stat, with play action. Why do we care about that? Well, who's the worst running team in the league? The Lions. You know, you guys have heard all the stats. They haven't had a 100-yard rusher since the 8th grade picnic. They haven't had a 1,000-yard rusher since a million years ago. You don't need to know a whole lot about the league to know that the Lions running game has been amongst the absolute worst in the league. Well, why is that important? Why are you telling me all this stuff, Matt? I know their running game's terrible. But their play-action game isn't. It's a misnomer. It's a myth that having an established great running game then allows you to create off-play action. It's not a, it's not a, a, a result of running the ball well. 
It's a result of using, using it and timing it very properly, executing the fake as Stafford does well. But you don't have... This is a, just a great stat to show you that it isn't, man, we can't run play action because we don't run the ball well. No, not at all. Not at all. That's not at all what the case is. And that just goes to show it. I mean, and in this league right now, one of the biggest gifts to the offense is the use of play action. And uh, it's one of the things I've been critical of the Steelers here. They're always near the bottom of the league the last couple of years in use of play action. Why? You know, use it. And you don't have to run the ball like Le'Veon Bell in order to get great results. You can run the ball at the worst clip in the league, like the Lions do, and get great results. So keep an eye on the use of play action going forward. Another one, um, the Washington pass rush, Redskins pass rush. The Redskins pass rush is nowhere near as heralded as that of others around the league, but according to Sports Info Solutions charting, Washington led the league with a 36.7% pressure rate on defense, also ranked fourth in adjusted sack rate. And that was with Allen, their best interior pass rusher, missing a plenty of time last year. He was great when he was in, and I think you throw Payne into that mix. He's more run stuffer than interior pen, or than you know pass rusher. But as nose tackles go, he very much is a good pass rusher. So I think that's an aspect that people overlook about this Redskins team and this Redskins defense is they rush the passer extremely well. And it just doesn't get the credit it deserves, so I wanted to mention it to you. I also wanted to mention to you one of our sponsors. They've been with us the last couple of weeks, and that's The Athletic. So what you need to do is you go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnNFL, all one word. And when you do that, you get 40% off your first year subscription. That's $2.99 a month for when you use this promo code LockedOnNFL, all one word. You got to do it. Um, the Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The Athletic model is very simple. There's no ads, there's no pop-ups, there's no auto-played videos. Instead, readers subscribe for an authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out. Coverage will go beyond game recaps and trade speculation to provide smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams and the league. Here's the thing that's crazy to me is subscribers have access to local and national content with more than 650 news stories published every week across all sports. I mentioned that the local feel is something you probably know about with The Athletic. They have great writers like my buddy Mark Caboli who handles the Steelers. But now they have national writers like Jay Glazer. I'm sure you know who Jay Glazer is. Dane Brugler, who I know pretty well, does great work. Lindsey Jones. And a good friend of mine, Ross Tucker from our former podcast. So, Go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnNFL, and that gets you 40% off your first year subscription. Got to do it. So, I also wanted, I took this from a handful of articles I read about the Falcons over the last day or two. I think, it, it certainly is a misnomer. It's not that I think it's a misnomer. That Scarsesian took way too much heat for, boy, Atlanta's offense was terrible last year. Well, first of all, in 2016... They were historically good. And all of you guys know that I am a massive Shanahan fan. And he, more or less, is basically the best offensive mind in the league, in my opinion. So losing him hurt. Yes. There's no doubt about that. And 
Here's the proof. You know, Atlanta's offense averaged 11.7 fewer points per game in 2017 than it did in 2016. So about a dozen points a game difference. So Williamson, what are you talking about, man? You know, like, uh, or Seasgan's terrible. You know, he's not Shanahan. What do you mean? Well, first of all, in 2016, Atlanta's offense, particularly their offensive line, their offensive line missed zero snaps. So that's that's a big deal. Um, but the Falcons produced the best first down offense in league history in 2016. But in 2017, they fell all the way to third. <laughs> so they were only third in yards per play. And they were third in con- con- uh, conversion rate on first downs. So they're still top of the league. Again, the offensive line was totally healthy. The biggest problem, though, for the Falcons' offense in 2017 was that they were always in the sidelines. Atlanta's defense allowed more plays per drive than any team in football. So think about that. Every team, you know, they were on the field a lot. The Falcons' defense allowed the second longest average drive in term of time of possession. It ranked 26th in turnover percentage. So... If the defense is always on the field, that's not the offense's fault because when they do, when the defense does get on the field, they're allowing long drives and they're not taking the ball away. So Atlanta's offense ran only 157 meaningful possessions, like no kneel downs at the end of halves, those type of things. And that's the lowest mark in the league by nine possessions. Think how much more offense you create with nine more possessions if you were just 31st in the league. League average was 179 possessions. Again, Atlanta was 157. So, they Atlanta also had the second worst average starting field position. So, when the offense did get on the field, they had long fields. So, it's crazy. You know? <laughs> um, with that, the Falcons then averaged the league's second most yards per drive and seventh most points per drive. So the offense was good. The offense was really good. I mean, you can only do things on a, if you look at things on a per drive basis, as they do here, you can see why you dropped almost 12 points per game because the defense was allowing massive drives and the offense had the second most yards per drive and seventh most in the league. Yeah, there was a little drop but not to the insane level that people think. And one other note is I do think one thing Sark needs to do more of is getting Coleman and Freeman on the field together, which I think will happen. Who knows, though? Uh, Last little tidbit before I get to your Twitter questions. You guys know I've been crushing Joe Flacco, and I am open to to the thought that maybe... He plays better this year. You know, obviously you feel in the heat from Lamar Jackson and you know, it's kind of that Alex Smith-Mahomes effect, maybe. More importantly, it sounds like he's healthier than he's been. And I'm willing to say, okay, he has played through some injuries and obviously had a bad knee injury. But this is pretty crazy. I mean, this goes back. Since winning the Super Bowl in 2012, again, that's a, that's a while ago, Flacco has been one of 19 passers to throw 2,000 or more balls. I mean, he has 2,000 or more attempts since 2012. There's 19 people doing that. He's 13th in completion percentage of those 19s, and that's his best number. He's last in yard per attempt, 
last in adjusted net yards, and last in touchdown percentage. That's pretty terrible. I mean, considering you start all that time from 2012 till now, you're last in all those key, key numbers. All right, so some interesting tidbits there I found around the web. A lot of those are football outsiders. Bill Barnwell wrote a few of those. Um, thought you'd like them. Figured there was something good to share. But let's take a few Twitter questions before I head to Myrtle Beach. Um, Clint, at Clint McKenzie 1, McKenzie 1, pure hypothetical. No, I know it can't happen, but the Chiefs trade for Khalil Mack. How does their atrocious D improve? Thank you. And I'm going to tie this in with my man, GoPat79, who says, Matt, do you think the Raiders would seriously trade Khalil Mack? Would they be wise to do so, or should they just pay him? If he was traded, where would he be a good fit? I'd love my Pats to nab him since we have no pass rush at all. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm not going to really answer these in depth because I did record the Thursday show with Mike Sando, who wrote a very good article on ESPN addressing this issue. And we talked about the Pats specifically. So definitely go check that out. I know when you guys wrote into me, you probably hadn't gotten that on your feed or listened to it yet. We didn't bring up the Chiefs. And of course, that won't happen within the division. But man, I mean, I think it's put up or shut up time for D Ford. And I tend to think he's going to be shutting up instead of putting up. I think Justin Houston remains an excellent player, basically in his prime. Um, and, and could have a huge year. But imagine teaming him with Khalil Mack. I mean, that would be even better than Bosa and Ingram in the in the division, or probably Miller and Chubb, or certainly those three are in the conversation. Um, wow, I mean, is all you can say there. It, it's needed, and I really worry about the Chiefs overall. But I do think D. Ford at least get you know earns this year to see what he can do. I tend to not think it'll be great. I think he's a little bit too finesse. And I do think Houston's in for a big year, although I rarely say good things about the Chiefs' defense. Edge pass rush, you can always get, I mean, always upgrading would be great. But if it had to, if it cost them two first and $20 million a year, I just think they could use their money elsewhere. Um, Cameron McIntosh asked me, do you believe NFL front office offices value draft picks too highly in today's NFL? Uh, no. And the reason is, first of all, I mean, of course you don't hit on every pick and it's not a very efficient science quite honestly i mean if you you should hit on you know if you hit on 66% of your picks you're doing really well if you hit on i don't know 75% of your first round picks you're doing well so i see what you're saying that maybe picks are valued too much because so many are missed but the reason they're valued so much is just because the way the CBA is set up is draft, those guys aren't expensive. You know, that if you can get a guy in the fourth round that starts for you for his four-year contract at a very low price against your cap, well, that allows you to send, you know, sign your quarterback to $20 million, go get a Khalil Mack. You know, it just helps you do so many things. And if you consistently bring in new blood through the draft, you should remain a very competitive team for year after year after year. I mean, look what the Saints got. I mean, that's a historically great tra great class. But just adding, you know, an amazing draft class sets them up for a long time. And Mike and I talked about that yesterday, too, you know, with Bridgewater going there, too. So, I mean, that's something you can listen to as well, that 
because they had that draft class, they can maybe afford to lose on picks a little bit in this next draft, you know, because they have a good young base. Um, Seed and Company asked me, thoughts on a potential role of Alfred Morris? Thanks, Matt. Well, you know, we talked about Shanahan. We talked about Sark. Morris looks really good for the 49ers right now. But he doesn't give you anything in the receiving game. I mean, unlike a Freeman and Coleman combination. I mean, I do think that they want a combination of runners there. But the problem with Alfred Morris is just he's no receiver. And it's too much of a tell when he's in the game that we don't have to worry about, you know, McKinnon, Coleman, Freeman as a receiver. And, you know, Freeman and Coleman are obviously very different style runners, as are Morris and McKinnon, and style running backs overall. But I do think Morris has a role. I guess that's what you're asking me. I think he will have a role because he's a very good zone runner. So as a ball carrier, handing him the ball, he fits what Shanahan does very well. I mean, this system is great for him in that regard. But he has somewhat of a ceiling. You know, I mean, that you can't put him out there as much as he needs to be highly successful because he's just not a great receiver. But if McKinnon were to miss time, you know, maybe Morris and Breida are really two different types and would really get substantial workloads. I'm not saying McKinnon's going to get a high Le'Veon Bell percent of the touches. I think he will get spelled quite a bit, probably especially early in the year. And Morris will be a part of that without question. But for Morris to put up, you know, fantasy-worthy numbers, he probably needs 15, 18, 20 carries and a short catch or two, which won't produce a lot for him. And I just don't think he can get it here. Just to show you how we are growing on the Locked On NFL podcast, which are we are growing very well, and I would especially love it if you guys could go to iTunes, give me a review, maybe some of you new guys too that haven't been with us since the, since the start. Um, we're brought to you also by my bookie today. I mean, ever since I started this podcast, everyone asked me for my, my betting advice. And if you listened last year on Fridays, you did pretty well, by the way. Several of you on Twitter have dropped me a note saying, hey, Williamson, I bet the teams you told me to, and I made some money on my bookie. So, you know, but the truth is, none of us know who's going to win the game. But if you think you know, you got to go check out my bookie. When you're betting on is just as important. Who you're betting on is just important on is important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet my bookie. Trust me, guys. They're your best bet for the season, and they've been very good to me. Uh, they have great reviews online. Their mobile site is extremely easy to use, too. So lay down some cash and win big today. Uh, as mentioned, they've been very good to me. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been great to me, and they have been. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, which is one of my favorite things to do, is you watch a game for a quarter or so, and you get a real feel for, man, this isn't the Ravens' day. Let's bet against them. Those type of things. Um, they also have very rewarding player perks, and for you fantasy guys out there, this is a cool thing I haven't tried yet, but I certainly will, is you can bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Really cool. Join now, join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, so that's free money. Use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today, that's my bookie. And don't forget to use the promo code locked on when creating your account to claim the bonus. You pay, you play, you win, you get paid. So, Joe Gear asks us, give us your five teams 
most likely to disappoint compared to preseason expectations. Um, first one that came to mind was Jacksonville. And we've talked about this in detail, you know, just passing game. I mean, it's hard to play that way. And the other one is Chicago. I think that people are putting the cart before the horse that they're this year's Rams. You know, worst to first, new coach, new scheme. Finally get that young quarterback some stuff around him that will make him more potent. And yeah, I think that's true, but not to that degree. You know, like I think it's, you know, baby steps, you know, smaller steps. And Trubisky worries me a little bit. He doesn't look great and he doesn't look comfortable. And uh, I don't think he's going to turn a golf-like turnaround. I think it'll be much less abrupt. Dallas comes to mind. Health of the O-line. I mean, the greatest strength on that team. First of all, I think their defense has a chance to be really good. Better. um, More playmaking. You know, I, I think that there's a chance that their defense is really good. So that's something going very much in the right direction. But if their O-line isn't healthy, I'm talking about their three studs, and this Frederick thing really worries me, that offense is going to be really bad. It just is. They don't have the weapons. They need to play a certain way as well. And when you have to play a certain way in the NFL, everyone knows it, and it just makes it really hard. Um, the Browns are obviously one that comes to mind, too. Everyone's drinking the Hard Knocks Kool-Aid. They're more talented. Yeah, they're more talented. I get it. But I don't think all of a sudden they're a 500 team. You know, people in Vegas are betting on them to win the division. I, I understand it's because the odds are long. But come on. I mean, they're still fourth in the north. That rhymes. Um, I don't have another one off the top of my head. The Niners, maybe. You know, just because... I think next year's the year I'll be on the Niner train to be a contender. You know, this year I think they'll be better, better, improving, again, go in the right direction. I love Jimmy, but not there yet. I mean, not at the Vikings, Packers, Rams, Falcons, Panthers, Saints, Eagles level. You know, like, NFC's tough, man. Jerry Linder asks, how do you feel about some healthy starters not playing at all this preseason? Rams offense absolutely comes to mind. Even young guys like Goff and Cup are not getting any action. Are they trading health for early wins? I don't know, because I talk about this a ton on Steeler Nation Radio, because the Steelers really didn't play many people at all. I mean, and I get it. You know, let's just get to the starting line with as as much health as we possibly can. We'll figure it out from there. I get that. And it's probably the way I would lean. But you better have a really good pulse on your team. You know, you better feel that, boy, these guys are getting a lot out of practice. And I absolutely worry about conditioning for these teams. You know, that now these guys have played 60 minutes in a long time. You know, and I know they're in shape and they're running wind sprints and the strength coach is on them and they got these monitors and they know all this stuff. And yeah, they're healthier. Then it's better to be a little winded in the first game than to have a bad hamstring and Okay, I mean, I, I understand that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, if it's the fourth quarter and a team that played their starters is in better shape than you, you know, you're in trouble. But especially if you're a contender, I'm in, tr- I'm in favor of it to hopefully be healthier theoretically in December. 
than you are, you know, than you would have been if you had played everyone in the preseason and lost some guys, and you're going to lose people in the meantime. But it's a really good thing to pay attention to this year, more than ever. I mean, every year's gotten more extreme with the resting, and I think that's what I would do too. But we'll see. I mean, if some of these teams, like the Rams, come out flat or you know, have a lead going in the fourth quarter and then they get run on like crazy and are dragging and holding their hips and struggling. Maybe we'll say, man, we should have played a little more football. Uh, last question, Tim asks, at New York G. Tim, rank the five rookies QBs preseason play. Um, Lamar Jackson's clearly last, and I still am very high on him. He just looks overmatched. He doesn't look confident. Um Sage Rosenfeld mentioned, you know, it doesn't look like he's handling the NFL ball particularly well. And so that's going to be an adjustment period. I know it's not something you think about, but it is very different. Um, He's last for sure. Again, I'm still very high on him, but he's been disappointing. Although I thought his last outing was his best yet. So promising. Talked about Flacco earlier in the show. He's clearly going to be the guy, as he should be. I mean, he gives him the best chance to win for sure right now. Uh, Allen would be second worst, would be fourth. And he's had ups, though. I mean, there's times that he looks really good. He also has had very little help around him, too. So I don't hold him as accountable, especially this last game. But, man, under siege, I mean, the blocking is bad, going to be bad. I probably would start Peterman to start the, start the year. The other three are all really close to me, though. Like, Jackson's clearly fourth. Allen's clearly, or Jackson's clearly fifth. Allen's clearly fourth. I really like the way Rosen throws the ball. You know, his protection was really poor to start the, the his campaign out, too. Couldn't even get snaps to him, the shotgun. But I think he's really good and looks like he belongs. All three of those guys look like they belong. Darnold looks really polished, unra- doesn't rattle, tough-minded, takes the checkdowns, does the little things that you got to love. Mayfield, I really like his feet in the pocket. Moves around well while keeping his eyes downfield. All three of those guys look really solid to me. And all three look ahead of the curve for where a rookie rece- a rookie quarterback should be. So that's a wrap. I'll tell you about my fantasy draft when we get back. I won't have a show on Monday for Labor Day. Uh, got some stuff going on. And um, there you have it. All right, spread the word. Take care. <laughs>